Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli. I'm Lorelai Weissel. I'm Brian Dawes. And I'm Chris Delano. And today we are getting started on a bit more of a serious topic. Uh, there are two big things going on in the world right now. It is Pride Month, right? Yes. It sure Co-work- is, Jay. G- gay-, <laughs> gay co-hosts. Um, please, please, please enlighten me yeah okay uh that's what i thought uh but also we've had some serious um riots civil unrest uh throughout the country all 50 states uh other countries are joining in the protests against police brutality in this country and systemic racism and white supremacy so on that note um lorelei do you want to talk about what we're going to be donating yeah so um you know since all cops are bastards and uphold white supremacy and a whole bunch of other bullshit um you know uh one of the things we wanted to do this month um because it's it is also pride month so uh shout out to all the queers out there you rock but um so what we want to do this month is uh take all our patreon donations for for the month of june and and we're going to be donating those and um, we we are going to be sending those to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, which is a organization that helps build a communal network between black trans people uh, nationwide, does a lot of local community activism, uh, a lot of political activism, and uh, has, has a lot of artist funds to to help trans artists promote and create their work get their voices into their communities um you know this is something that means a lot to our cast and co-hosts on the show you know we we appreciate everyone who has supported the show who continues to support the show um we're going to be dropping links, uh, donation links to the Marshall P. Johnson Institute. So, uh, you know, if you want to make donations to that beyond what you are uh, giving on Patreon, um, you know, that that is also fantastic and wonderful. And we love you for those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, everyone's really, really worn down and eroded mentally and emotionally and... Uh, just wanted to to make that statement, make our position very clear that uh, you know Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter, Black Queer Lives Matter. You know you don't you don't get to be a bigot uh, in one intersection if you're trying to support these causes, and so uh, you, you know it's. I I am trans. I am very queer. Uh, I still white. Uh, I am still much less likely to get murdered than black trans folks. Um, they are uh, the core of a lot of the political energy in trans rights movements. Uh, Marsha P. Johnson threw the first brick at the Stonewall riots. Um, she was a foundational queer rights activist you know we we just want to give back to uh all those communities and really just kind of um do what we can to help support and uh act in solidarity there 
for those of you who may be thinking, this is a magic story podcast. Why are you getting political? My first answer to you is shut up, shut your face. My second answer to you is go ahead and pose that question to us, and I will show you every example all the way back to the Ice Age where a fascist populace gets the country to want to make themselves great again in order to turn them into zombies and take over. There's um, there, there are a lot of parallels in Magic Story to where we are right now, so um, you can shut your face. Also... Fuck you, my existence is political, whether I like it or not, whether you like it or not, so it's going to be political. Same here. Yeah, uh, if you if you disagree with anything we've said so far, uh, goodbye. You can stop. <laughs> so, <clears throat> on that note, uh, today we're going to talk about uh, one of Magic's... I don't know if Teferi wasn't necessarily the first black character, but was the first prominent black character in Magic. Um, the the first black planeswalker. Um, maybe not the first one to get a card, which is a little weird. but uh, Or a planeswalker card, but uh, it is what it is. We're going to talk today about Teferi and his early life. I hear we have a whole course set about Teferi. <gasps> weird! Almost like this was planned. As you might have seen already, uh, some of it deals with characters from Teferi's past. So you might hear a name here. Uh, we're going to talk about his time on Talaria, through the Mirage War, and up until the Phyrexian invasion when he phases out uh, northwestern Jamora, specifically Zel- the country of Zalfir, which he was responsible for. And then we'll pick up again next week with uh, what happens when he phases it back in and where he is today. So when we first meet Teferi, uh, this is a little weird, first of all, because the first time we meet Teferi chronologically (laughs) is not the first time we meet Teferi. Teferi has been around since Mirage and Visions and uh, appeared in a couple places. He's in the backstory for the Mirage War. Uh, He was in the Battle Mage video game, but all of that actually happens after his time on uh, Talaria. So the novel Time Streams is where we first pick up with him. He's 14 years old, uh, had been recruited to the very prestigious academy, but did not yet know that the purpose of the academy was to uh, create an army of people who were essentially going to be the R&D and the wizard soldiers in the war against Phyrexia. He didn't understand he was being recruited into Urza's child army. Yeah, there, there's a little bit of that, too. So the reason Urza has a child army, along with his partner at the time, uh, Baron, who is an archmage from the late Ice Age, uh, is because Phyrexian sleeper agents could not assume uh, the form of children, so they could only appear as adults. Uh, and that became a... Um, that was their way of essentially keeping any sleeper agents from infiltrating the academy. Uh, so the academy's location was secret. No adults that were not uh, Talarians already were allowed on the island. All of that changed when Teferi's crush, a girl named Joyra, meets a Carrick, uh, who turns out to be a Phyrexian sleeper agent. Uh, also on the island with him uh, is uh, 
Karn, or as Teferi calls him, Artie Shovelhead. (laughs) Young Teferi was an asshole and a bully. Disruptive student. He's also a prankster and has continued to be. He, d- the card confiscate literally shows Baron taking away a little fart machine that Teferi makes. <laughs> I did not like Teferi for a very long time. I would venture and say for like the first seven hundred to a thousand years of Teferi's life, he's a uh, not that good. He's he's not very likable. No, he's not very likable like at all. Uh, but but he he always is a, a jokester and a prankster and kind of full of himself because like the thing is when it comes to magical genius he really is that good yeah he is 100 percent the prodigy everyone thinks he is uh and we find out there may be a reason for that on well a few a few decades after a uh fateful moment when he was 14 uh joyra's sleeper agent friend that she did not realize was a sleeper agent uh, calls in Phyrexian reinforcements, uh, and they arrive, and they destroy the island and kill Joyra, and Karn, in his grief, activates Urza's time machine, which he was built as a probe for, and travels back just a few hours in order to save Joyra. But even the stress of going back that far, the time machine was nowhere near ready, just the stress of going back that far explodes the time machine and shatters time on the island and teferi uh in the explosion catches on fire and then a time distortion a bubble of slow time appears around him so that for every year on the outside only only seconds have passed for him on the inside so for from 3307 AR, which is our, the Argivian Reckoning, that's uh, 3,307 years after Urza was born, uh, until 23 years later, he was stuck in this time distortion. And when he's freed, it's because Joira came up with an idea that she and Karn executed in order to save him by using uh, water from a fast time bubble to create a bridge into the slow time bubble. Time water. Yeah, time water. <laughs> if you've ever watched uh, Tolarian Community College and uh, Tappy Toe Claus's great Joyra cosplay, oh she drinks, and I'm using, I'm using quotation fingers here, time water. Out of a flask. She's so, she's great. Oh, I love her so much. Tappy, Tappy is wonderful. Uh, if, you've, if you've ever watched that, you know, Joyra discovers while she is trapped on the island that the the water from the slow time distortions uh, actually slow her aging. And so everyone starts to drink the time water in order to extend their lifespans on Talaria. Uh, Teferi is freed, but at this point, all everyone who was his counterpart, who was his fellow student, they're all now 23 years older than him. Well, most of them are dead, to be fair. <laughs> this is true. Most of them are dead. Uh, but the ones he cares about, like Joyra, are 23 years older than him. They're adults already. They're, you know, in their 30s. And he is still 14 when he comes out of that bubble. So that has a pretty big effect on him. He stays with the Tolarian College. Uh, I wanted to call it the Tolarian <laughs> Community College. <laughs> okay, anyway. He stays on the, uh, the Tolarian Academy for years. And... Uh, Right up until Urza, based on a clue from Joyra, discovers the mana rig on Shiv. Uh, Joyra is originally from uh, an, a, con- oh, a 
island continent called Shiv that's very volcanic. It turns out the Thran, the ancient uh, advanced technological sorcerers, if you've ever listened to our podcast, we've talked about the Thran quite a bit. They sucked. Uh, in, in the past. They did suck. They were bad people. They, they deserved what happened to them, more or less, as a society. Yagmoth did nothing <laughs> wrong. Whoa. Oh, whoa, well, I... Whoa. Also not true. <laughs> Stupid, sexy Yagmoth. <laughs> and they left behind a lot of relics on Dominaria, and one of which was the mana rig, which would create could create Thran metal, which was harder than any other known metal and uh, had like living properties where it would continue to grow over time. Uh, and this is actually this made the frame of the weatherlight. We, we're not quite there yet. Uh, once he's discovered this metal, Urza's trying to find uh, designs that have good applications for it. And so one of the things he looks into is building a skyship out of it that could naturally grow over time. Well, while Teferi is there, Teferi is, of course, not someone who likes to pay attention to the rules. And he, Karn, and Joyra discover a section of the mana rig that they were forbidden to go into. The mana rig is controlled by Viashino, the essentially Magic's version of Dragonborn uh, lizard people, that Urza had negotiated a lease for the mana rig from them to be able to produce their own metal. Uh, but the Viashino told them not to go into this forbidden area. Also, by the way, Urza promised Karn to the Viashino as payment, even though Karn is a living, is a sentient being, uh, which Teferi was very not happy with. But anyway, they go back to this other section of the mana rig and discover that they have found a foundry for power stones, which are like the miniature nuclear reactors of the Thran, which powered all their inventions. And because of all of Urza's technology was based on Thran technology, it also needs those power stones to function. <clears throat> so for years, he helped uh, produce these these stones and, and help, uh, help the defense of Talaria. But eventually, he just kind of got tired of Urza's BS and returned home. There was a, a civil war, or at least a, a conflict, going on in his homeland of Zalfir, which is in a region called Jamura, which is in, and Zalfir is in the northwest corner of uh, Jamura. It's actually a very small piece of Jamura. Yeah, like Jamura is this gigantic supercontinent on Dominaria, the largest landmass, and it's not even close. And like pretty much every event that happens there takes place on this tiny little coastal tip. <laughs> yeah, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's really funny that Jamura is like this giant part of the world with this incredibly long, rich history. And most people think of Dominaria and they immediately go to like Terrasier. Yeah, which is this little story. tiny like, or Banalia, like this little tiny spots that have like a couple of isolated incidents that have happened over the whole span of time. Right. Like, Dominaria is Jamura. Like Jamura is Dominaria. Well, I mean, depends who you ask. Some would say Dominaria is New Vodalia. Oh, Christ. Okay, anyway. Which is why the Vodalians need to be destroyed. <laughs> Urza, save us. Okay. Oh, no. I don't want Urza anywhere near us. Yeah, true story. Screw that. Teferi agrees with that sentiment, and he goes back to Zalfir and becomes a royal mage, which is, you know, like, in every fantasy story, you know, the, the wizard advisor to the kings and queens. So he does, he, he manages to bring peace back to Zalfir, uh, and he begins experimenting 
with time on his own private island that he has just off the coast of Zelfir. He starts experimenting with time on his own time. <sighs> Get it? Because he's a time wizard. <laughs> on Joira's last uh, voyage as captain of the Weatherlight, she brings survivors from Sarah's realm uh, to Zelfir in order to settle them there. And... Um, Teferi, while there, you know, proposes to her, and it, it, she, she turns him down. Um, and that's actually interesting. The last time we see Teferi for almost 700 years. He did not take it very well. <laughs> so his proposal to Joyra is about 14 years after the Mana Reg. And he's just, you know, he's just the Royal Mage of Zelfir. He's popping around the multiverse for the 700 years or so. Until one day, during one of his time experiments on his island... He just phases the whole thing out of the time stream. This is where the phasing mechanic comes from, by the way. Uh, and the energies unleashed by that attract three powerful mages. The first is Mangara, who is, or at least has been spending time in Corindor, which is a small island off uh, a small island continent-ish off the coast of uh, Jamora which is where most of the Armada comics, the early, early magic story, take place. Love the Armada line. Then the second is Kervek. He comes from the Burning Isles, which is the island chain to the northwest of Jamora uh, that lie between Arona, which is where like Benalia and all, Keld and all of those places are, and Jamora. They're right in the middle there. It's an arch- archipelago. Burning Isles are where uh, islands like uh, Bogarden and Urborg are. It's not really clear if Caravek's like Bogarden or from Urborg, but he has uh, essentially powers from both. So he's a pyromancer, but he also he's a, like a pyromancer and a necromancer. He commands like shades and undead and all sorts of stuff. The Burning Isles are huge, so it doesn't necessarily need to be those places. That's true. It could be from any kind, any smaller island there. As well. uh, and at this point in history, there is also, I think, the last remaining Vodalian city, Etlanchis. Great. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, totally relevant to the story of Teferi. Nope. So these, uh, the final one is from the Monvuli, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Actually, I have a there's a guide. guide. I have a pronunciation guide I sent all of you that I could just pull up myself. Mwanvuli. Mwanvuli. Uh, so from those jungles comes Joel Rael, who is the, uh, who's a beast master. Oh, I'm sorry, Joel Rael. Uh, Joel Rael comes from this jungle. She doesn't really, she used to be a royal mage of Zelfir, but she doesn't really talk to people anymore, which honestly, <laughs> who can blame her? Uh, she's doing a really great job social distancing. She's been a hermit <laughs> in the woods for a very long time. Wait, she was a crab? <laughs> Three wow. of them uh, meet up on Teferi's island, uh, all attracted by the power unleashed when Teferi phased his island out. So it's really just a barren rock at this point. And they create kind of a tenuous peace here. So what also happens is uh, before Teferi went back to his island, he established five guilds on Zalfir. These five guilds were the Civic Guild, the Shaper Guild, the Shadow Guild, the Armor Guild, and the Granger Guild. 
There was internal strife caused because of this, because Teferi turned over control of the dead, essentially, to the Shadow Guild. And that went against much of the religious community in this section of Jamora's faith. Uh, they were uh, believers in a, a sun god or worshipped the sun as a life-giving entity. Uh, and about 30 years after Teferi left, basically the, <laughs> the whole nation started to go to war. Eventually a country seceded from Zelfir uh, and formed a new nation called Femoref, which was a, a more uh, theocratic government than Zelfir was. Uh, they're they're the sun worshippers, which in uh, Dominaria is really weird. Uh, most Dominarian religions that do celestial body worship focus on either the null moon or the mist moon. Well, you know, um, Tercier also had sun worshippers, and part of that is like the Ice Age uh, brought about a lot of sun religions. Yeah, it's because they wanted to be warm and cozy. Exactly. These three have this tenuous peace agreement, uh, and Mangara, he decides to intervene in this war that's brewing between the seceded uh, Femoref, uh, between Sukata, which is like this Arabian-themed nation uh, that is partially inspired by Arabia, which is one of the um, early magic planes based on Arabian Nights. There were portals to Arabia on Jamura. Uh, yeah, if if I recall, it is uh, largely an immigrant community from uh, Arabia. I believe so. So the the three of them have this tenuous peace agreement, but Mangara decides to intervene uh, in the conflict there and brings about what is called Mangara's Harmony. So he creates kind of a border zone between the countries, uh, staffed by elves, by the way. I didn't know if you know, knew this, Brian. Um but Mangaro was good friends with the Quirion elves from Corindor. And he did the border uh, with Sitokwa. Sikata. Yep. Sikata. Whatever it's called. I did my assigned reading. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. I just like that we have a pronunciation guide, which means that the only person who will pronounce anything correctly this episode is Jay. Because he actually read the, the guide. <laughs> Sukata. <laughs> so anyway... Mangara, there's about 200 years of peace. And uh, by the way, I should mention all of these mages are back in the day uh, when a mage became sufficiently powerful, they could slow their own aging. So uh, we see this with Baron, who was the headmaster who was constantly frustrated by Teferi's pranks um, of the, at the Talarian Academy. Uh, we also see it with these three mages because they all lived these these 200 years. Kervek convinces Jolrail that um, Mangara is planning something, or planning like a conquest, or, or something nefarious. Uh, Jolrail, having like no people skills, is like, oh, that's bad. <laughs> and <laughs> works with him to trap Mangara in, in the Amber Prison. Once that's done, the most powerful defender of this region is now gone, and Kervek launches an invasion. Joel Rail, you know, regrets it basically immediately, but there's nothing she can do by herself. And Kervek has this in, um, has put this like cat vampire named Paraj, I think. Yep. Yes, Let me see that's if right. Name is it Paraj? That's exactly how you pronounce it. Yep. Has 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 stationed it in her temple in like the middle of the jungle, so to guard the amber prison. And there's there's nothing she can really do about it just yet. And then Teferi comes back uh, about. 
200 years after he left, his his island fades phases back in, and Jor-El goes to him. But Teferi realizes, oh, by phasing my island out, I've caused a lot of damage to the time stream on Dominaria. I need to stay here and fix this. I can't intervene. I can't go and like physically beat up Karavek for you. So what he does is he sends visions to all the heroes of Jamora. So people, some of the names you might recognize are people like Sisse, who is captain of the skyship called the Weatherlight. Sisse uh, collects all the other heroes of Jamora, and they fly to Jolrael's palace uh, and defeat Paraj and free Mangara. Mangara goes and he is pissed. And he uh, ambushes Karavek and traps him in the Amber Prison. And this is actually the last we heard here of any of those three characters. So theoretically, because they're all aging pretty slowly, they could still be alive. Uh, do, do, doesn't Jor-El appear in the Keldon invasion of Jamora later? Yes. Yeah, but that's only like phew, 10 years later. That's not 300 years later, which is modern times. Valid. Between... What uh, Lorelai is just talking about, something called the Prophecy War and the Mirage War, there is the Planeswalker War. If that sounds familiar to you, let me <laughs> let me clarify. It's the Planeswalker War where a beacon calls a bunch of Planeswalkers across the plains uh, into an ambush, essentially, set by a aggrieved Planeswalker. Does does that clear up which one I'm talking about? <laughs> we got to be clear. It's the it's the Planeswalker War, not the War of the Planeswalkers. A little different. <laughs> to, well, Teferi is there. So, does, so does that narrow it down? No, no. Wait, is Karn there? Uh, no, Karn's not at this. Okay, one. Karn's not in that one. Okay, well, I know which one we're talking about. Karn has forgotten who he is at this point. Yes. Okay. Uh, honestly, if if it did sound familiar, congrats, you're probably a co-host of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in the um, the Armada comics that I mentioned earlier, built up to the uh, acclaimed video game Battle Mage. Uh, in Battle Mage, you can actually meet Teferi. Uh, Teferi is not one of the play- playable characters, but he is on Corridor and he is doing something we don't really know what you just get to meet him once while he's there so we know we know he was there and he was involved in some capacity because he was on corridor when what was called the mox beacon was activated hey jay uh how did the planeswalker war end oh (laughs) (laughs) basically the comic uh that was intended to be the conclusion uh never came out so what unfortunately happened was uh mirage right around the time of mirage is when wizards took all the world building and the story internally uh and so they canceled their contracts with these other companies or the contracts ran out i don't know exactly the business reasons why uh but they began developing it all internally because they were building to a big multi-story arc called the weatherlight saga so when we catch back up with Teferi again, it's uh, during the block Prophecy, which takes place on Jamora. It does not take place in the same area as the Mirage War. It takes place just a little bit to the east. There's like a little bay and a, or a gulf, depending on... I, I don't know the nautical term for that. But anyway, it's just, it's just a little ways to the east. There's the Kipamu League, uh, which is these, this league of independent city-states that get invaded by Keld. Now, Keld is this group of warriors it's it's your standard warrior nation 
you know, they're the Dothraki, they're the whoever that just go and invade things to invade things. Hold up, wait a minute. Before you say, before anyone gets any ideas, the Dothraki have nothing on the Keldons. Let's let's just make that clear because they're, they're led by people who feed off of the energy of the people that they lead. Like there's, there's, there's magic here. Why don't you talk a little bit about the Keldons and why they're so effective, Brian? So, like I was saying, like, basically, these Keldons that are invading Jamora specifically, sorry, I'm going to start over. Keldons, Keldon warlords are forces to be reckoned with because of the amount of power they gain from their war hosts. The the Keldons that are invading Jamora at this time have actually been, should I say, corrupted or like... The implication is that they're led by... Goth. This creature called Greel, which is the mind raker, corrupted by Phyrexia. Like these strange plagues start showing up in this region that are unexplained. The idea is that this is a precursor to the invasion itself. It's only about a year before the Phyrexian invasion. Yeah, because basically Greel is a a former Tolarian wizard who felt that his his way of doing things was a little bit too or he was kicked out of Teleria for one thing for his experiments being a little bit too extreme so oh no 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 you're thinking of um gatha Gr- yes Grilla- that's yeah, i'm thinking, thinking of gatha. gatha never mind my bad gatha uses the technology basically genetic engineering uh technology to whoa, enhance whoa, 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 the keldons whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yes, it's genetic engineering technology, but it's very specifically eugenics technology. Yeah, fair enough. Urza was a bad person. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of eugenics in this period of magic story, oh, and gosh. none of it is good. No, none of it. None of it is good, because eugenics is not good. Eugenics is, in fact, I'm going to take a stance here, bad. Yes, very bad. So these Keldons believe a time called... Uh, they have a, a prophecy of twilight uh, that they believe is the end of days. They believe it's coming. And their leader... Um, Latula. Latula. Their leader, Latula, uh, is invade, trying to get more territory uh, in advance of whatever she thinks is coming. So she travels ha- halfway across the world to get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, they're, they're taking <laughs> a lot of slaves. It's, it's not great. Yeah. It's, it's a whole lot of bad things. Um, but... Thankfully, there is a planeswalker guardian of Jamora, a man named Teferi, who has been building, uh, who is aware of the impending Phyrexian invasion and has been uh, building defenses for years in Zalfir. So he takes uh, a contingent of his Zalfiran troops and kind of leads the battle against the Keldons. Uh, he doesn't really intervene directly because the idea of killing, like, tens of thousands of people by himself is kind of important to him and so he asks for aid from Teleria. and so baron his old mentor arrives with rain uh rain is baron's wife and uh they come with like the most token force possible and teferi is like crushed he's he's well he's very disappointed that his old allies his old mentors showed up with so little and the explanation he gets is that Urza is keeping pretty much everything in reserve for the Phyrexian invasion. Uh, and Teferi's reasoning is, well, if there's nothing left for Phyrexia to invade, what's the point? Uh, which is a very good point. Teferi, in a climactic battle, ends up wiping out most of the uh, Keldon forces. The rest all, all retreat back to Keld. 
Um, there's implications, like I mentioned earlier, that Latula and her like monster Greel um, are in league with Phyrexia in some way. Latula uh, wants to do something to the Keldon Necropolis, which we later learn um, in the invasion. Maybe she succeeded in her means of reanimating the ancestors. Basically, the Keldon uh, prophecy of Twilight involves the uh, all their honored dead who are held in this giant necropolis uh, rising from the dead and fighting with Keld or fighting for Keld. They end up fighting with Keld. It's very bad. They 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 become Phyrexian. Yeah, they, they get reanimated by Phyrexian magic. But that's neither here nor there. So about a year later, Teferi uh, is defending Zalfir from the beginnings of the Phyrexian invasion. Uh, Urza arrives after already, I should note, this is really important, after already sacrificing Benalia and doing nothing to help it, um, or doing very, very little to help it, because he wants to ambush them all uh, at a different location on the plane and, and focus the battle elsewhere on the plane. He arrives to uh, recruit Teferi for his nine titans, and Teferi agrees and apparently rolls a really good deception check, because... <laughs> um, the two of them, uh, Teferi, convin- uh, Teferi convinces Urza the best way to shut down these Phyrexian portals that are spouting out uh, all these Phyrexian warriors and Phyrexian ships. Um, he tells them the best way for them to get rid of it is to create this feedback loop by planes walking into, into and out of them over and over again and causing them to explode. Uh, when it, that happens, Teferi uses the, the resonance, the power there, to phase out all of Zalfir. Um, leaving essentially a, a crater in its wake. You can see the card uh, Teferi's Protection. You can see him starting to do this. Uh, it's a very awesome moment to see. Beautiful art. Then Urza, a short time later, goes to uh, Shiv, and the, to the Mana Rig specifically, and finds that Joyra has been tinkering with it and leaves a mobile portion of it for uh, them to use, but the rest of it, along with her people, the Gitu, are phased out by Teferi as well. The two of them basically decided they wanted nothing to do with Urza because, let's reiterate, he recruited them as child soldiers in his army. He bred a slave race of people. He did eugenics all over the, uh, <laughs> all over the plane for years. And he's more than happy to sacrifice uh, anyone who is not part of his plans. So, yeah, I, I don't really blame them for this. So the two of them uh, reside in the phased out uh, Shiv. And that's where we're going to leave the story for now. They The plan is to return in about a century after the plane should have recovered from the invasion. Can, can, can we briefly mention the sheer asinine optimism of oh we'll come back in a century after the Frexians are defeated and the plane has recovered yeah i mean teferi has a lot of he, he he's highly optimistic about a lot of his plans throughout his history like let's not pretend this is something new oh i i'm not pretending it's just it's it's perfectly in character for teferi to be obnoxiously confident in himself he invites joyra over after not having seen her for like what decades and then just like oh will you marry me a decade yeah <laughs> and then that just she's just like mm, i'm not gonna answer this right now nah fam 
So Teferi's big character, I'm I'm glad you're all bringing this up, because let's talk about Teferi as a character right now. Teferi's a planeswalker. He's one of the most human of the planeswalkers, but he is still, he is very alike with Urza in that he is a brilliant man who does not think anyone else's plans or ideas, uh, unless they've significantly impressed him, are really worth listening to. And that his way is the only is the only appropriate solution to a problem. Yeah, he kind of unilaterally removes his entire country from the timeline. Yeah, it, it's it's not great. It's, let me tell you what it's 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 not great. It's obviously a difficult decision and a complicated decision ethically, but it is still a unilateral use of phenomenal cosmic powers. I mean, when when you look about at the conversation that they were having as he was getting ready to do it, like he knew that Urza was about to use J- or Zalfir, who was the most technically advanced nation outside of Teleria, on the plane. Urza was planning on using Zalfir as the the basically shock troops for the invasion because he knew that the Phyrexians would attack first, which is why he was planning on phasing out Zalfir because he didn't want his people to die. Which yep. It's fair. Yeah, the, I think the reality is if he did not phase out Zelfir, it would have been destroyed anyway, because that's where, after Benalia, that's where the bulk of the Phyrexian forces were going. And then once it disappeared, it screwed up Urza's plans, because all those Phyrexian forces then turned to uh, the ca- caverns of Koyolo- Koyolos... God, I can never pronounce this crap. Uh, <laughs> where uh, his, the bulk of his plan was going, and where the main gate to Phyrexia was... It's a whole thing you don't need to know about Teferi in particular. Just know that while their plan was to return in a hundred years, the reality is he phases back to a very different world 300 years later. But but we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, If you want to know what happens in the rest of the Phyrexian invasion, we did a three-part series on the Weatherlight Saga last year. uh, I think last summer. For the last, yeah, for C18. Uh, so you can go ahead and listen to those. Uh, those, yeah, go ahead and listen to those episodes. There we go. I can say words. If you want to hear a little more about some of these characters, uh, episode five was us talking about Hamrids, Joyra, Teferi, and Karn. On episode uh, episode seventy four, seventy five, and seventy six, we're all about the Weatherlight Saga. So moving on to final thoughts, uh, Brian had mentioned that uh, he wanted to have a bit of a a longer discussion for his final thoughts. So the rest of us are going to cede our time to Brian today. All right, everybody. Um, So you have to be living under a rock to not know what's going on in the U.S. Or actually now it's worldwide protests about racism in many forms, mostly relating to systemic racism in the United States. But, you know, systemic racism is applicable in many countries around the world, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's difficult. I'm tired this week. I'm, I'm so frustrated and I'm, I'm really hurting. Uh, and I don't want this to be another one of those, like, just, I, I want everybody to come out of this knowing that, you know, there, there is something that we can look forward to at the end of all of this. Hopefully at the end of all of this, um, some of our local government or 
hell, even the federal government, maybe, I mean, it's not going to happen with this administration, most likely, but, you know, it can lay the groundwork for something that maybe there's a little bit more oversight in our local governments that can help bring about the end of this systemic racism. Um, that's probably too optimistic. But I just want everybody to know that everything that you say and do during this time is important. You might be the only person in your family that is the voice of reason and isn't a isn't a bigot. Let, let's just put it out there. Um, so just be willing to listen to people um, and be willing to impart wisdom on them. And if they are open to listening, shut them down. Like it, it's it, it can be hard to talk to people that you love and realize that they don't respect people the way that they should be respected. And I just want everybody to know that this too shall pass, but we have to, we have to bring it about. So go out and be the change that you want to see. It, it's, it's difficult to, to say what I want to say without being super harsh as I want to, I, I want to yell and shit, but that's, see, I want to curse, but can't do that. So, well, I don't want to do that. So just just be the change that you want to see. Um, educate people. Listen to people. And if you don't know, learn. You have to be willing to learn. Hopefully we can just see justice and equality ring, ring out. But, oh, uh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, so like, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we are donating all of our June Patreon money to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute to help black trans communities uh, across the country. Um, and uh, so, you know, we we super duper appreciate everyone who supports us and, and kind of keeps this show running uh, and is, you know, helping us, uh, you know, be be part of some action, what action we can do to help make things right. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.